0: I'm Sean Lukasik, and you're listening to the Paisanos Podcast. My guest this week is Michelle Eichard. Michelle is an author and educator who works with parents, teachers, and children, helping them navigate the tumultuous stages of early adolescence. Michelle is the author of Middle School Makeover, Improving the Way You and Your Child Experience the Middle School Years, and... 14 Talks by Age 14, The Essential Conversations You Need to Have with Your Kids Before They Start High School. Her third book, Eight Setbacks That Can Make a Child a Success, is due out on August 8th, 2023. Michelle is also a writer for the Today Show parenting team and the Washington Post, and I learned about her work through a curriculum she developed for middle school boys taught by a close friend. She also developed a curriculum for girls around the country and has been doing this work for more than 20 years, so I'm excited to share her thoughts and insight about smartphones, social media, and internet culture as it's become another landscape for parents and children to navigate. If you're a fan of this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. We're still in the early stages of the podcast and would love your help sharing it with all your friends and paisanos. And be sure to check out Michelle Eichard's website at michelleichard.com. Thanks so much for listening. Here is Michelle Eichard. All right, Michelle Eichard, welcome to the Paisanos podcast. Thanks for joining me.
1: Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me.
0: So you are um, an expert in uh, adolescence and middle school um, aged uh, parenting and um, kids going through whatever they go through in middle school. And I know you've been asked this lots of times because in my research and in some of the conversations I've listened that you've been a part of, um, people often say, why in the world would you become an expert, um, in, uh, children of that age? Because it's a tough age and, um, anyone who, uh, is a parent, um, or in my case who has, you know, young kids in my life, um, through a relationship or through my nieces, um, and nephew knows that there's a lot happening at that age. Um, so, I hope that we would start by you just uh, talking a little bit about um, what drew you to this work that you do.
1: Sure. I would say that I am an expert in as much as anyone could possibly be an expert on this age because it is an ever-changing, ever-evolving, ever-surprising age group. And that's why I love it. I was drawn to it because I think um, kids in early adolescence are fascinating and They are evolving and they are developing a sense of self and who they are in the world. And that's chaotic <laughs> and also important and interesting. So I've been doing this work now for 20 years and I love reading about this age and diving deep into the research on it and spending time with kids this age. Um, so that's kind of what attracted me to it is, is a little bit the volatility of it, I think is yeah. interesting. Um, and what has sustained my interest in it, I think, is the hopefulness of it, that w- that kids this age really do represent change. I mean, they're constantly changing before our very eyes, physically, emotionally, developmentally, intellectually. And that represents a great deal of promise for us, I think. So that's what I love
0: yeah and anyone listening to this can certainly think back to when they were that age and all of the volatility and change and all of the things that you just mentioned you know that we all went through ourselves um, but for for many people and and for myself included um, we didn't have the this added Um, complexity of the internet and the cell phones and social media. Um, But now that's just a reality. And I think that's the one that we're going to focus most on today. Um, So I'll just say up front, you know, Michelle covers so much about this topic and and as she said, is as much of an expert as anyone can be. But we, I want to focus on the, the role that the Internet plays in um, early childhood development and adolescent development, because um, it's something that, you know, as as we become parents now and uh, kids of the next generation are starting to become this age and going through all the things you just described. Um, there is that added complexity. And I wonder if we could just start with sort of some general thoughts. I know you've done a lot of writing and thinking and speaking on on this topic specifically, um, and maybe something foundational that we can kind of launch from.
1: Sure. So, I've never actually articulated this before, but when you were speaking, I thought, oh, <laughs> so let's <laughs> let's play with this idea that just occurred to me. But it it feels when you said uh, the Internet is sort of the new component of growing up, I thought, yeah, man, the Internet is kind of the uh, extra parent and the extra friend and the uh, unnamed Enemy and all of these components that that were a little bit chaotic in our own upbringings, um, the internet now plays that role and plays a plays all of those roles. So sometimes it's the friend, sometimes it's the frenemy, sometimes it's the comforter, sometimes it's the instigator, sometimes it's the abuser, sometimes it's the you know champion. So it's all of these things, and I I don't demonize technology or the internet or social media for that reason because I think it is a tool. And what I say when I talk to kids and when I talk to parents is like any tool, it can't be helpful unless it's also harmful. So uh, the stove that you have in your house can't cook your dinner unless it's hot enough to burn your hand. Mm -hmm. Every tool that we love can also hurt us. And so I think it's really important when we have this conversation with each other, and especially with our kids, that we recognize the value this tool provides in our lives instead of demonizing it.
0: I love that analogy, too, about the stove, because the stove is optimized to be hot enough in a very specific area and the area on which you would cook, obviously. And, um, you know, if, if you're if your goal is to touch it with your hands or with something that's not protecting or meant to be there, then it's, you're going to get burned. Um, and in the same way, you know, social media is optimized for engagement. It's optimized for, um, likes, comments, shares. And unfortunately, what we've learned over time is, um, a lot of what generates engagement is actually not the things that we That generate engagement in real life. Um, And so the difference is um, it's meant to generate engagement in this very small space, but there's so much more um, in terms of engagement that kids can can experience out in the world. And this becomes just such a dominant. uh, The phone itself becomes just such a dominant role. And what you said, it's a parent, it's a friend. um, It's all of those things. And so that's an interesting Analogy. Well, I, I like yeah, that. and
1: I love what you just said that it it demands engagement in a way that isn't the way we naturally normally engage. If I saw someone screaming in a Walmart when I was there, I would run in the other direction, yeah. right? I would avoid that person. But if I see it on a TikTok, I'm like, let me see more. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. got to watch this fire burn, right? So that's, a, that's me, an adult with a formed sense of who I am watching from a safe distance. Um, but it's a different thing when kids are forming opinions about who they are and what they believe in and they're watching. So again, I'm not totally for or against, but I want parents to have conversations like what you just said. Like, how does this mm-hmm. mimic or um, how is it the antithesis of our real lives? Well,
0: what's the biggest source of fear that you think parents have when, when you're having these conversations or you're giving talks and that, you know, you get a lot of questions, I'm sure. Um, what is the number one fear that you think parents have as their kids start to become an age where social media is just part of everyday life? Uh,
1: I would say that there is not one that I can broadly say all parents share, but I will say there is a group of parents who fear the worst case scenario. Mm. And for them, that is my child's going to be groomed online, picked up at 2am from our driveway and taken off as a, sex slave. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, just like the absolute weirdest thing. And, you know, so, um, that is one bucket. And what I say about that is, yes, you, you, You don't want to set your kid up for that, but the chances of that happening are probably pretty small compared to the more likely things that might happen, which is that they start to believe misogynistic or racist things because they are um, over-introduced to them uh, online. So Mm -hmm. that's another one. Um, For some parents, there is a fear that their child will be bullied or will be exposed to um, things that, ding their self-esteem to the point that they get so many dings, they are just done. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another big one that comes up. Um, I think a sort of a, a lack of human interaction and socializing is another big one. I mean, there, there are so many. There are so many fears sure. about this, but there's a wide spectrum.
0: Sure. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, just as there are many fears, I imagine there are many solutions and approaches to those fears. Um, And you know, again, as someone who doesn't have kids myself, but who has kids in my life, um, I, my, my first instinct is always to, to think, what can I do to protect these kids as much as possible? And I'd like to think that I could just remove all of it and, and just say, you know what, you're not using it, but I know that that's not realistic. And I know that that's not what you have talked and written about, um, whether it's about internet use or really any approach at all. Um, so, uh, Can you share a little bit about what the general kind of healthy approach is in your perspective um, in terms of how to parent through the use of the device, the use of the the media and um, just, you know, what might then what they might come across on the Internet as a whole?
1: Sure. What we know about teenagers is that regardless of the subject, uh, an abstinence only approach doesn't work. Mm. So we know that about sex ed. We know that about um, lots of things. Kids are driven as they go through adolescence, they are driven to take risks and they are driven to become independent. And that means separating from their parent. And so a lot of times that means uh, or feels to them like they ought to Disagree with, take a stance against, fight with um, their parents because that's the only way that they know to differentiate and, and become independent. It's a messy start, but it and it usually ends up. Working out great, but that that's how it begins. And so if we come at technology with this, um, understandable instinct to say, no, 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 don't touch. That's a hot stove. I want you to go near it. Um, they're going to touch the stove. Mm -hmm. So what we need to do instead is talk about that, talk about the stove, talk about the internet, talk about social media Specifically, not be vague. When we talk in platitudes about um, danger because we're afraid we're going to put something on our kids' radar, it's of no service to them. So we need to be really specific, um, do research, and understand what the platforms are. And you don't have to be an expert. Your kid is the expert. They can fill in the mm. blanks for you, but know enough to be able to start a conversation. Hey, what are your thoughts about TikTok being banned in, well, I don't know, whatever state just banned it. starts with an M. <laughs> you <laughs> know, which state just banned it? Minnesota, Minnesota? Uh, uh,
0: well, Utah, I know, recently made some pretty major changes around the use of social media specifically, yeah. but I don't. I feel like another state state
1: now is anyway that we'll see this happening. More and more states will will try to do this. So if you have a gateway uh, sort of prompt like that, that like you can be dumb like me. In fact, that works really well. You can say, (laughs) "I can't remember. I don't know what I heard. I heard something about this. Can you fill me in? Your kid will know." Um, And so I think. What we need to do to help our kids use these tools effectively and, and they are going to mess up, they are going to touch the hot stove, they are going to post something really bad or you know whatever it may be, don't get hung up on that. Do not get hung up on the fact that they are going to make a mistake. Whenever your child starts to learn to use a new tool, whether that is the stove or learning how to drive a car or how to hammer something or the lawnmower, they're going to mess up. Mm-hmm. Of course they are. So be okay with that. But keep the conversation going and keep it open, and talk about how the tool works and the good things that can happen and the bad things that can happen. When your child knows that you are being balanced about it, they're far more likely to keep talking to you and learning from you about how to continue using the tool.
0: Yeah, you said something, um, and this was an interview or a podcast interview you did a couple years ago um, about uh, you know taking the approach of letting the adolescent create their own plan. Mm. Um, and, uh, I recently was able to have a conversation with, um, a 13 year old boy in my life, um, who was, you know, having some issues at school. And, um, so I had just gotten done listening to that podcast interview and I, I said, what's your plan for this? And do you want help? with it. Do you want help creating a plan or do you have one? Um and he kind of sat back for a second as if to say, I don't what do you mean, my plan? <laughs> you know? Don't no, ever ask me that. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Or he he had never thought of it. Um and uh I was really proud of the way that he mm-hmm. thought through and, and did create a plan. And I think um, You know, that's that's advice that that you gave and that you've given for a lot of different scenarios that I sounds like as you're describing some of this could really help in this situation as well. If they post something they shouldn't have posted or if they get a message they shouldn't have gotten or wished they didn't get, um, you know, they might actually be formulating a plan already and maybe pulling it out of them is a is a good idea.
1: I I love to hear you say that. Um,
0: well, and it's thanks to you. So I appreciate that.
1: <laughs> and that's not why I love it, but really, <laughs> it sounds good coming from you. Um, I think we want kids to develop their critical thinking skills, and we want them to develop their problem-solving skills. And if we don't give them an opportunity to practice doing that, they don't get better at it. And then we expect them at age 18 to go off to college or... The military or get a job or whatever it may be, junior college, who knows, and be able to solve their own problems and be able to email their boss or their professor or whatever. And and we expect miraculously with age for this to happen, but it only happens through experience. And we all know that when you start doing something for the first time, you're pretty bad at it and mm. and they will be initially. So ask what the plan is. They're going to say something really you know, might, might be not good. (laughs) Maybe the plan is, well, I'm going to post something terrible about them because they posted something terrible about me. And really what you want to do is not squash that and make them embarrassed to come up with ideas, but say, oh, interesting. So let's talk about what, what would happen if you did that? Talk me through how would their friends react? What if your parent or teacher saw what you posted? Let's just think that through. And also does that get to the root of really solving your problem? Or is it just sort of a temporary fix, so mm-hmm. being um, a neutral sounding board for kids as they try to become better problem solvers is key, I think to to developing better problem solvers
0: and we I mean the internet it, it, the way that we use it today, um, you know thinking about social media and um, and even like the the endless scroll and the timelines and 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 that that sort of part of the internet is is only. An adolescent itself. It's only a teenager itself. Mm-hmm. You know, that that version of Facebook that we know and use today is only about 15 to 20 years old. Um, and so we've all seen adults make those same mistakes. And even ourselves, I know that there have been times where I've said the thing back um and now I know <laughs> just not to engage. Now I know that, um, you know, I just don't want to have those types of conversations. But um, but I had to experience that for myself, even even as an adult um, and go through all of those phases of social media because it hasn't been around that long. And um, so, of course, you know, kids are going to do the same thing and they're going to see the same results and, and ultimately um, know better uh, not to do those things in the future.
1: It's very hard for anyone to learn from someone else's experience. Mm -hmm. It's why our kids don't learn when we say, here's a mistake I made. Mm -hmm. Don't make the same mistake. We learn from experience. We learn from feeling, not from hearing. And Mm -hmm. so I think um, we have to accept that that's just part of growing up, whether it's the internet or an in real life friendship or whatever it may be. You just have to learn from feeling.
0: Now, you've established some pretty uh, in depth programs for both girls and boys. Um, you have Athena's Path and Hero's Pursuit. Um, and these are programs that work with kids um, in their own community week after week after week. And, and these are programs that are designed, as I said, specifically for girls or for boys. And, um, I wonder, you know, as you've developed these programs and as you've, you've come across the unique, um, uh, ways that girls and boys, um, develop and change through adolescence and the experiences that they have. Um, I wonder if you can talk about how those experiences on the internet might be different for boys and girls and the way that the internet could be potentially helpful or harmful for each group.
1: I can talk about it anecdotally. I don't have, uh, so there's been some really interesting research recently about girls in the internet. Mm. Um, there may be some about boys that I have not seen that is specific. Um, but I don't have a lot of great research on boys and girls using the internet differently and, and how they benefit or are hurt by it. Um, but I can tell you anecdotally that what I'm hearing from parents and what I'm seeing in my work with regard to boys, and, and this sort of goes back to your question about what is one of the biggest fears, uh, a lot of concern around boys being influenced by um, male influencers. So people like Andrew Tate, for example, mm-hmm. he's the big name out there, um, or other people who are um, spreading really harmful Ideologies and young boys tend to be sensitive to that, um, and defensive of that. So that, that's a big thing. And, and for girls, I see it more, um, their use and, and parental concern more around, uh, relationships, relationship building among their peers and also concerns about what they are internalizing in terms of body image and that kind of stuff. Though I, I really see that entering boy. Territory almost mm-hmm. as much as it mm-hmm. does yeah. for girls. Yeah. So, um, so I think the gap is closing. <laughs> yeah. Not in a great way, but but in the sense that we're we are seeing these issues cross genders. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. I think it's really a complex one, but I would say um, boys and girls are using the internet differently. Boys certainly, uh, we know, use it more for gaming. Plenty mm-hmm. of girls love games and love gaming, but we know um, percentage wise that more boys do um, and we know that boys are are more into YouTube than girls, and so they're seeing more of these recommended videos that we're talking about, and mm-hmm. girls are a little bit more relational um at an earlier age, and so they're they're more interested in things like Snapchat and places where they can converse, although boys mm-hmm. are conversing while gaming so sure, yeah, sure.
0: Well that makes sense and I appreciate that that insight um I know that um uh the book that you've got over your shoulder there 14 talks um uh is is really great and uh, I've got a copy of it myself um it's one of those books that you go back to time and time again um and not to read it cover to cover but to really pick out the resources, um, you know, in each section of the book. So um, thank you, first of all, for putting that into the world, because what an incredible research for even people like me who don't have kids myself.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Um, So one of the concepts that you address in there is this idea between um, independence and and kids Mm -hmm. seeking independence, either through isolation or through exploration. Um, And I wonder if you could just kind of talk about that um, and and what the difference is between those two.
1: Sure. At the beginning of adolescence, we see kids develop this need and this urge to become more independent. And there are two ways that they sort of strike out. One is through exploration, and that's exploring the world around them without a parent nearby or a guardian. So that's riding their bikes further distances, going to visit friends without parents being there as part of the play date, going to the mall unsupervised, these kinds of things. That's exploration or exploring their world. And then we have isolation, and that is cocooning, essentially, often in their bedrooms. So that is... um, what many parents report as kind of the, the dark times when their kids go into their room and shut the door and they don't want to come out for family mm. game night or movie night. And they don't want to go to the store with their mom anymore, or their dad. And they're just like, I want to be alone in my room. And that can last for days before, mm. you know, they'll come out to eat, but then right back in headphones on in their room. That's a a really important part of growing up. It's it's a safe way for kids to explore being independent with a still um, a safety net there. If the parents are are home and they are not out in the world alone, but they are deep in their thoughts and deep in sort of discovering who they are apart from their family.
0: Mm-hmm. So when, when, I, when I read about that and I, I learned about that concept from you, um, I realized that I kind of use my phone or the internet as, as a whole for both of those things. Mm. I might use it for isolation. Um, I might, you know, dig into the New York Times crossword app uh, for a long time and just want to kind of decompress and, and be on my own. Um, and I also might use it for exploration. I, I might, you know, look up um, topics that I'm interested in. I might try to improve my golf swing on YouTube. Um, do you find that, that, um, children are using it for both of those things, or is it even a tool that, um, we should be thinking about in terms of, uh, you know, independence and, and a tool that, that, um, adolescents should be using for that level of exploration?
1: I think that's brilliant, and I'm going to use it in my talks <laughs> going forward.
0: <laughs>
1: yes, it is complete, It is the perfect uh, tool for isolation and exploration, both. And I think with teens, we see it in lo- in, in just the same ways that you're talking about. Maybe they're watching um, YouTube videos of ways to do their hair, right, and um, sort of tutorials on things, and that that is a way of isolating. It's also a way of exploring it's almost the one place where you can do both of those things mm. at the same exact time. I can isolate from my family, be in my room, and be exploring the larger world mm. through this device. so that's really good. <laughs> I like that. I hadn't thought of it that way before, um, but I think that that yeah, so we have to be thoughtful about how we talk about it again, not demonizing it. Mm-hmm but also being very cautious that it is a gateway to the world. And there's a lot of stuff out there that your child can be exposed to. Some of it is blatant and we understand that some of it is Andrew Tate and we get it. There's a video from a guy and he's not good. And we understand that. And some of it is more um, subtle. So it's just not knowing how many times your kid is seeing people post photos of events that they haven't been invited to. Right. Mm-hmm. Th- that's the subtle side of things where it's like, gosh, someone's not putting this in my kid's face, but they are being exposed nonetheless.
0: Sure. So several years ago, you wrote about this decision to kind of stop mon- monitoring that you stopped monitoring your kids' texts altogether. Um, But when you wrote about that, you also said that tweens are biologically and developmentally driven to take risks. Um, But you're still encouraging parents to stop hovering and stop giving constant feedback. Can you just kind of expand on that approach? Because I think when I read that article, um, I felt like it really got quickly to the core of this whole conversation about It's risky behavior, but parents aren't um, doing their children uh, uh, a real service by hovering and and just trying to get in there. And I know you've kind of talked about that a lot already, but um, but I felt like that was such a concise way. And so maybe your decision about why you just stopped monitoring your your kids texts altogether um, would be a great succinct way to kind of talk about that.
1: Well, I think it's important to begin by saying, initially, you should.
0: <laughs> when mm-hmm. your
1: child first learns how to use a phone, when they first get iChat or you know, whatever device they're using to begin communicating with friends, you're going to want to be aware of what they're doing and what they're saying. And so initially, with your child's understanding of this, you monitor, you you Take note and say, okay, listen, hey, I saw that you sent your friend 15 texts when they said they were having dinner with their family and couldn't talk right now. Let's just mm-hmm. talk about that. Um, so, and I, and I would like for parents to probably focus more on etiquette initially than on those big, broad fears of, is my child going to be abducted? Um, I, I'm, again, I'm not saying don't worry about that. Have have conversations and safeguard against that, but balance that against the reality of what they they really are probably doing that's not great online, which is um, sending a million cat memes to someone while they're at work, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, be sure to talk about the broad range of what you expect, monitor for a while to be sure that they're doing what you expect, and then slowly back off. So any parent who's monitored their, their early tweens text knows that they're incredibly boring it's like hey sup sup meme emoji (laughs) it just goes on forever and ever and ever and that's great for them but you don't need to get uh dragged down by how how boring that is yeah Um, (laughs) And the other thing that you don't need to get dragged down by is when things get a little bit controversial. So if someone says um, a little bit of a racy comment, or they use a swear word, or there's a your mom joke, you know, any of those things... are really common and normal. And it's a way for kids to feel like they are taking risks and behaving a little badly without anything really bad happening. Mm. So I know parents who've said, this kid is using terrible language on their text. Should I tell their mom? And I'm like, well, it, it depends if they're just trying to to have a little bravado and use some interesting words it's probably not a problem. If they are hurting someone with their language, if they're repeatedly making fun of someone, then um, maybe that's a conversation you need to have. But I just feel like the monitoring so often is too intense and also lacks focus. Cause I don't Mm. think parents really think about what they're monitoring for. They're just like, I'm just looking for bad stuff. Yeah, Yeah. Right. And you don't really know what bad stuff is, um, so I think that requires a little bit of deep thinking.
0: That makes sense. I work with a lot of clients who are hesitant to get on, um, you know, put their companies, for example, on on a site like Twitter um, because they just don't know about it, or even TikTok. You know, that's where a lot of the conversations are happening now. Um, and one of the things that I recommend to them is just. Make an account. Just go there so that you can learn what the language is like on Twitter versus LinkedIn or Facebook where you're already comfortable. Um, What are the conversations like on a site like TikTok as opposed to again, Facebook or or LinkedIn. Um, and that's usually a good first step for, for business owners. And I imagine it's a good first step for, for kids as well to, to just get on there and experience, um, and, and listen and talk and have conversations, um, because, uh, You know, that's when we learn what those like nonverbal cues are, too, when people then don't respond or they just give you the thumbs up or something. You know, we've learned over time in our own use that, oh, I'm I'm talking too much or I said something wrong here. Um, And that might be something that kids can learn by by just messing up on their own in a safe way.
1: I totally agree with that. And I love the corporate analogy. It's one that I use often when I'm talking to parents. So I like that you said, you know, this is how we advise businesses and it's probably good advice for parents too. Um, parents tend to get overly emotional. It's really understandable. You Mm. love your child. You're invested. You're frustrated by your child, you know, all these things. But if you can pretend that you are a supervisor to your child when they are driving you nuts or when they're making decisions that you don't agree with and put a, put a, some space between you and that kid. And think about if I were this child's boss at work, you know, if they were my employee, how would I give them advice here? It's probably not by screaming at them, we hope. It's probably not by telling them about things you did as a, as a kid, mm-hmm. how you messed up and what they should learn from, you'd give them, we hope, some really um, concrete, actionable advice. Here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I think could help you improve. You know, here are some areas that need work. And here are some areas where you're really shining and almost take on that role of a boss employee. And it removes a layer of emotion that clouds things and, and makes it really difficult to work through. So I think that's really important. When we're talking about parents and kids talking about technology because parents get on their heels and they feel afraid and they feel worried and or angry and then kids stop listening. hmm.
0: I want to shift gears a little bit um, and just talk about some of what you're consuming in terms of pop culture, um, either with your kids or without them at all. Um, one one of the shows that uh, we just watched, and I've got an eight-year-old and a 13-year-old in my life now, um, and The Good Place was a show that we could all watch that um, brought up some interesting conversations, had you know, jokes that flew right over the eight-year-old's head, but um, uh, was, was just incredible to watch. Um, but I wonder, you know, what you would recommend or what you're watching, um, that, uh, that would be a good one for us. Cause we're done with that now. So we're yeah. looking for the next thing.
1: Do you know that this is my very favorite question (laughs) for anyone to ask me ever is what should I watch on TV? I love TV and I love podcasts and I love pop culture. So this is a a dream. Uh, Good Place (laughs) was excellent. Now my kids are – Almost 21 and almost 23, so they're not even at home anymore. Yeah. Um, but we still watch stuff together and and talk about it. I just did a huge love is blind debrief with my daughter before oh, yeah. I got on here. <laughs> it's probably not something your eight-year-old would be interested in. No. Your 13-year-old and you could have some great conversations uh about this. Um so what do I recommend for family viewing? It's been a while since I've watched shows with tweens. People have told me that the new Quantum Leap, have you watched it? It's a reboot. No. People have said that it's amazing. It's got a very diverse cast. It's great for young kids. It's thoughtful. Um, so that might be a good one for you guys to, to at least check out. Um, and then I'm trying to think. So me personally, I've been into a lot of podcasts lately. I love um, If Books Could Kill. Do you know that one?
0: The cat I don't know, but is, I'm, I'm writing these things down as if no, we're not recording this whole conversation. Right. But <laughs>
1: um, If Books Could Kill is about the books that have most um, terribly influenced our culture over the past 20 years or oh, so. Wow. And it's funny and it's smart. I love it. I love maintenance phase. Um, it's that one I think is particularly important for parents to listen to because I think parents do a lot of um, unintended damage talking about health and wellness with their kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it sends skewed messages that, that end up getting distorted in terms of how a teen views their body. So that podcast is highly informative and again, funny. So those are my favorites right now.
0: Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big podcast listener myself and obviously (laughs) podcaster. Um, I, I love the conversations that John Favreau has on his offline podcast. Um, if you haven't listened to those, uh, you can kind of go through, you know, just guest by guest or topic by topic. Um, some of them are fantastic. Some of them are, you know, just kind of the dangers of the internet as a whole, but the concept is, you know, the, the, the role that the internet plays. And it's similar to, to this podcast as well. So I would recommend that one to you as long as we're <laughs> chatting about it. Yeah, that's terrific. It. And I um, want to
1: say, I won't do this for another two hours, but if you haven't watched Rutherford Falls, did you watch that? It's on mm, people, No. It's only no. two seasons, sadly, um, but it's a great family sitcom. It touches on a lot of issues that will bring up good conversation, but it's it is a, it is a family show. You'll love it.
0: Well, and the reason why I wanted to ask that question um, is because – I think it's easier when a, when a topic comes up naturally and, and you're in a setting that it's easy to get your kids into, you know, let's sit in front of the television and, and have dessert or just hang out together and, um, you know, no pressure, those things do come up and it does bring up conversations that you could either have in the moment, if that's the right time, or you can bring up later. Um, and, uh, and so I, I, I was curious from your perspective, you know, what, um, what would be good for those things. And and uh, I do happen to know that you you like to binge yes. <laughs> uh, TV shows. we so. talk about it yeah. a lot. Yeah, um,
1: yeah you're smart. Uh, using other resources as a way to prompt conversations is so comfortable for kids because they don't want you talking about them. They'll be suspicious that you think they've done something wrong or you're bringing it up because you have a concern. When you really just want to open the door to good, robust, healthy, fun conversation, TV is often the way to do it.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about, you know, the fact that they might think, why are you bringing this up? What is the reason for this? And so you could even <laughs> use the television show as a cover for that. Yes. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> well, Michelle, thank you so much. Um, is there anything else I know that that you just um this is this is what you do day in and day out. And, and you do a lot of writing and media appearances. And I appreciate you taking the time for this one as well. Um, is there anything else that that you wanted to share on the topic of, you know, kind of the Internet as a whole and the role that it plays in in either building relationships with our kids or the relationships that kids are building themselves with their own friends?
1: I would say um, find things to love about the internet, and the role the internet plays in your family's life. Absolutely guard against the dangers as best you can. I mean, it's like we do with riding in a car. We guard against it as best we can. We know accidents are going to happen. Um, so do that, but also find things that you love and that your children love and find joy in those things and share them. So if that's a TikTok account you follow together, or if that is doing the crossword together um, on the weekends, whatever it may be, take an online class, um, do something with your child using that technology as a bridge to better communication because it will work really well.
0: Thank you. I know my homework this week is to build a Roblox character so that I can get a tour of uh, Roblox because I have not been in there yet. And I've been asked recently. So that's, That's I think, one way. That's
1: adorable. I hope
0: you have fun. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Thanks. And thanks so much for for joining me and for doing this. Um, I hope you have a great week.
1: You too. Thanks, Sean.
0: paisanos podcast is produced by creagent marketing it's written and hosted by me sean lukasik you can find our show notes at paisanos or visit our youtube page to watch the video version if you have guest or topic ideas email me at sean at paisanos thanks for listening